Hey guys, today in the podcast had SP Archives. SP Archives does dramatic and highly produced retellings of SP articles. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, make sure you review us or follow us. Uh, the more you guys help me out means the more I can put into the podcast. Thanks. Enjoy. Welcome, Pacific, to the SP Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. For people who aren't familiar, um, you know, what do you do? What's SP Archives all about? Oh, man, isn't that the question? Uh, so SCP Archives is, um, as true as can be, a, uh, a faithful recreation of all of your favorite SCP uh, stories, tales, and entries. So we take tales straight from the wiki, or and entries straight from the wiki, uh, give them a narrator, give them a full cast, and uh, a bunch of sound design, some music, and uh, after, you know, generally a month of production, um, you know, you have an episode full of immersive stuff. Basically, a movie without the visuals. Mm, yeah. I will say it's probably one of the most highly produced... Uh podcast slash ratings i've uh, stumbled into so thanks i appreciate that yeah i've uh i've been podcasting for a while so it was kind of a, an easy transition to go from one horror audio project into another and you know uh, scp ended up being the next big thing i was working on and yeah well so as tradition on the podcast how'd you find out about scp Oh, man. So this takes me back. Um, it was probably when I was in high school back in, like, 2013. Mm, okay. um, but, you know, I, I I was into, like, you know, creepy stuff and, like, conspiracies. And I can't even remember who. But, you know, one of my friends was like, oh, have you ever heard about SCP? And it's like, I haven't. Uh, and then I proceeded to, like, get really into it, read a bunch of articles. I want to say around then it was like only up to like the three thousands or so mm, yeah i think so yeah. um yeah but yeah got super duper into it um and then like my senior year of high school going to like my, my freshman year of college uh i just kind of like fell off yeah, of same. it for a while um yeah once in a while like i'd see something pop up i'd read it and go like oh that's cool um but it, it wasn't until one of my podcast friends john grills who runs uh creepy which is another horror creepy pasta podcast um he was like hey let's let's do an scp podcast because he he had had a lot of success mm. uh translating creepy pastas into audio drama and uh, he was like yeah yeah let's do this i pitched it to blade disgusting which was our parent company and um i i think i probably spent another like six months just kind of sitting on the idea like reading entries it's like yeah i don't know how to do this like should we just like convert them should we do something original in the universe um and yeah i think after like i said about six months uh he you know emailed me again he's like so hmm. uh i recorded one and uh, i think it was 087 was the first one he recorded um so i listened to it, it was like yeah okay okay i i think i know what we can do with this um and i think you know like two or three months later uh we launched the show 
Cool. Yeah. So for us, it's history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, like coming back to SCP archives, a, a lot of this has been like uh, a bit of a catch up. Like you know, now I'm going back, like rereading some of the old articles I missed. Mm. Um, you know, all the new articles, of course, five thousand just launched last year, so I've been. Uh, trying and probably failing to like keep up with that one too. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Don't worry. Oh man, there's it's so many new articles are written every day. I just cannot keep up. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. tend to just take the approach of uh, I let the uh, the authors and the wiki users kind of sort through the the stories that are worth kind of spending time on and the others that are find out kind of which ones come on top yeah yeah exactly yeah um but yeah do you have any like specific favorite scps they're like man i really gotta uh turn these into some sort of oh. production um it is my dream to do scp 3999 uh researcher tolerance uh break from reality mm. i guess is what you could call it um, for those who might not know SCP-3999, uh, basically half the article is crossed out and the other half is kind of rambling. Uh, it, it is like a personified writer's block. So as you read through the article, uh, researcher Talran, who's in charge of it, is, you know, um, brainstorming, like, what makes a good article. And he's going through and he's like, yeah, what if uh, SCP-3999 is... Uh, Euclid, no, cross that out. Keter, no, cross that out. Um, Thelmule, no, cross that out. Yeah. Back to Euclid. Like, you know, you can kind of see how the whole article evolves. And it's super duper fun. I have no idea how to translate that to audio, but I, I've been. Yeah, I was going to say. Right? I've been kind of like, you know, picking away at it over the course of the last year, just like, well, maybe we could do this, do that. Um, I'm. No promises. It'll probably come out with season three at some point. Okay. All right. You heard it here. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. Um, aside from like three nine nine nine, uh, you know, I, a, a good exploration log is always my jam. Like, you know, I it, it's obviously the easiest to like convert into audio, so it's good on like the you know like business side of like creating it. Um, but I, I just really like reading longer articles that are, like, fleshed out and have, like, really cool exploration yeah. logs or, you know, found footage. Um, oh, God, I'm forgetting the number. But The Bone Orchard is a really fun article about, a, you know, a, a facility that gets overtaken by the mm. um, flesh that hates and the whole Sarctic gods and everything. Um, but, yeah, but basically uh, some... Uh, MTF teams get sent in and see a bunch of weird bone trees that have like bloody leaves and stuff and it's just this really pretty um, but also like very like yeah. horrifying and disgusting story and that also like on my, my top list of like next articles to try and do I definitely really appreciate the more cosmic horror-esque or like natural kind of forces um and less of like a oh he's an evil monster kind of thing. Definitely. And yeah, you know, on, on that note, like I think one of probably like one of my new favorite articles would be. Um, I'm also forgetting the number. It's a five thousand. Uh, but lamplight. 
where the entire city is like at the edge of the known universe or at the known galaxy, hmm. just kind of suspended in eternal darkness. Actually, I have another one. Let me find the number. It is so cool. Um, I believe it was one of the 5,000 contest hmm. uh, entries. Uh, 5,005. Um, yeah, no, it, it's this wonderful, really beautiful story. It's oddly peaceful and kind of quiet in, you know, an otherwise kind of chaotic and loud SCP universe. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, it's all about this researcher going to this city at the edge of the known universe, you know, um, and past it, it's kind of like a point of no return. Like, past it, the galaxy is dark and endless, um, and this is kind of like the last bastion. Uh, of course, being a city that only has one source of light kind of suspended above it, um, a lot of people who go there are uh, artists and poets and whatnot, uh, and a lot of them are very, very depressed because they you know, wind up in this town surrounded by pitch black nothingness, and they just kind of stare into the abyss. And sometimes, very often, uh, they will walk into that abyss and forever disappear. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, just such a, such a beautiful piece and absolutely worth your reading. Uh, very cosmic nihilism, if you're into that kind of reading too. Yeah, no, yeah, I do. I, uh, it's just, it's very vaguely, I just started reading, do you know Hyperion? Yes. So I just, I finally just started trying to get into the, the old, the older classics and, uh, Mm -hmm. It just kind of that story kind of reminds me loosely of for people who don't know Hyperion, it's basically this planet. Um, again, it's kind of on that. I'm still only like a chapter in, so <laughs> give me, give me, I'm still right, learning. Yeah, at the beginning. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. From my understanding, it's basically this like very distant uh, planet that's like disconnected because basically in this universe, they have all these portals and that's how they tra- travel between planets. But this planet, you can only get there through actual space, uh, spaceship flighting, uh, flight. And uh, there's a region in this planet uh, in the north where this, like, godlike being uh, lives. And it's basically point of no return. Like, you have to journey there on foot and no one has ever uh, returned. But basically this, like, religious order or government basically picks these random, uh, uh, seemingly random people to, uh, like, I think six uh, voyagers to essentially explore this region of Hyperion. and I, I got to the part with the uh, the priest where he was kind of telling the story of this bishop who was excommunicated and put onto this planet. Um, and there's this, like, weird feeling of just, like, being on the, the kind of culture and the people and the world that kind of exists when you're on the edge of the universe of the known galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very fun setting. I, I really enjoy that. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, like, like I said, kind of, like, peaceful in the otherwise kind of chaotic world. It's nice when you, like, stumble across these articles that are just so different in tone and, like, idea and execution than anything else on the wiki. Yeah. I've been finding... I I kind of originally, like, I've only read probably the first 2,000 and then random bits of 3,000 and then random bits of 4 and 5. But I've been finding more so with 4 and 5,000, it's kind of had these nicer... uh, Yeah more refreshing takes like i feel like it just keeps expanding what falls underneath the umbrella of like the scp universe which i really really enjoy so uh, on that note i i actually have a question for you 
Um, as you read some of the newer series and, you know, ha- having read a lot of the older ones, is there a series that you can kind of, like, point at and say, like, this is my favorite overall? So far, I, I, so a lot of my favorites do come from the 3000 series, now I'm thinking about it. Like, I really love... Interesting. I really love, uh, I just had Tan Honey on recently, so he yeah. did 5000. Yeah. He, I really love his Garfield one. I, I really like that. Like, oh dark my god! Comedy. Yes, the Garfield. I, I just one. love like dark comedy, uh, and mm-hmm. the 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 fact that he he mixed the uh, Garfield like a real Garfield comic strip into the actual article, right. um, yeah. things like that. Uh, I mean, I'm working on three thousand right now. I'm doing an animated short film for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm horrible with numbers. That's like one of my worst things. <laughs> yeah. But there are other three thousand ones I definitely do enjoy a lot. Definitely. I, I don't know if you do the same, but, like, it, obviously, like, um, you know, I, I go through, like, uh, the Tales Hub for each entry. Because, you know, if there's, um, like, a relevant, like, short story about an SCP, I, I generally mm. try to incorporate that. So, uh, a lot of what I see is, like, you know, number and then, like, the name. So, um, you know, we did, uh, what, 3333, mm. three, 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 the tower. And, like, that helps me remember them a little bit more, just having, like, the little names, like, um... You know, oh god, Lord Stonefish's uh, Dada? Reagan cut up. Oh, that or, sorry, one. Yeah, yeah, I know the Reagan one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, is that Lord Stonefish? That might be someone else. Um, oh, a cactus is that? Right, but yeah. like, yeah, I get mixed up all the time. Yep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so many authors and everything. Um. Well, and, and then you know, there's also mm-hmm. so many like crossovers, like. Uh, um, Wade Diaz, who is probably one of my favorite, like newer, right? he's not new per se, but like newer authors. Um, yeah, I know he just worked on, uh, I think it was 5999, mm. ended up being its official designation. Um, it's, it's seven candles, it's a super creepy story, uh, about it, it's a little meta too, but god, I don't know if I can really talk about what it's about with that, like spoiling some of the hooks of it yeah i'll say um, uh, yeah read that one <laughs> i haven't read that one actually, <laughs> yes so. read that one yeah it's it's really cool it's um i, I believe it's cactus and wade and i think one or two other people hmm. um yeah but you know uh to my earlier question i lately i've really been enjoying uh a lot of the four thousand especially like the later four thousand like um, you know, so far early 5,000 series. I think there's kind of a, a tonal shift coming across, you know, just as, as culture and everything else around us changes, you know, so too is the wiki. Um, and, and lately, like, I just, I've been having all these, like, brain itches scratched by, like, new entries. I know some people, kind of like the older guard on the wiki, were kind of complaining that the mm-hmm. 5,000 uh series and also 5000 article were too tail like they they definitely I are. personally enjoy that though more yeah. I mean I'm not crazy about the super clinical articles articles like as a personal uh, taste there's definitely like a time and a place for them like um you know I, I think probably the most successful uh, execution of that kind of clinical uh style is um Oh, what's his name? Corporal Alexi. It's, uh, let's see if I can find the number real quick. Uh, I feel like this is going to be an episode of a lot of, like, Googling article names. <laughs> yeah, that's um, everyone. Don't worry. 
but it's uh, it's this wonderful story. Um, I want to say in the 2000 series about a Russian soldier from another dimension where, um, yeah, there's been like all out nuclear warfare and humanity has discovered these kind of like mole like people living beneath the earth. Um, so the soldier gets transported here from, you know, like I said, another dimension and he has this kind of chitinous living armor, uh, surgically attached to him. And, you know, the, the whole article is about uh, the researcher assigned to him, who I'm also forgetting the name of, uh, you know, taking a very human approach and, you know, like comforting this soldier who now lives in a world without a war, uh, far from his home and his friends um, and like helping this soldier, you know, through PTSD. Uh, and this article exists in a... Um, broken masquerade so eventually you know the stp is made public and uh the russian soldier among with a lot of other like you know euclid humanoid entities uh, are released and the article follows him after he's released from foundation custody as he like becomes a member of the broken god church and uh he rises through the ranks and becomes a priest and you know, it tells this really beautiful, poignant story about, like, just a little humanity that the Foundation showed once and how it, like, helped reform this man's life and how he, you know, was able to grow old and die peacefully uh, in a nice, quiet monastery in, you know, rural Russia. Yeah, it's not often you see, like, an actual character arc uh, in the SP universe. Uh, I mean, obviously, ignoring the tales. Um yeah um, yeah well is i actually i don't man the problem is i've so many of these i've read years ago i can't even remember half of them <laughs> right yeah the, you know they is that part out. of the article like the broken yeah the uh the entire thing's in article it's not even uh a related tale if i'm recalling it correctly um because yeah like, like i said it you know follows broken masquerade so uh it's uh, he, he becomes a POI after he's released. So there's just like a few occasional updates. Um, apparently he's like trying to mail letters to the old doctor, like thanking him for like helping out. Um, and yeah, just uh, these beautiful pieces. Uh, it is ah, SCP-2273, Major Alexei Belotrov. Um, I'm going to reread that one. Yeah, like I said, super beautiful article. And, you know, kind of to your point, like it it's rare getting like those longer tales or tale like entries in some of the older SCPs yeah. especially um being you know, look look at the winner for the 5000 mm-hmm. contest it's why which is written in it's basically a super elongated tale you know it's the point of view of a character traveling through this terrifying broken world and yeah there's some tables but like really it's all it's all the story of um I've forgotten his name, but you know yeah, st- the story of the guy in the uh, exclusion suit, you know, <laughs> journeying through the scarred earth. It's a, uh, and it's also, I mean, people call it like the Avengers of the, <laughs> the SV universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's kind of been like, yeah, very much like, so. I know for a while fans have always kind of wanted, I mean, there are multiple other articles that kind of do mashups, but I don't think any do it on like this level. Right. And I mean, you know, you have to look at, SCP as a whole, you know, it is 
very clinical, but it is also storytelling, it is horror, it is comedy, and it's absurd and cosmic at times, you know, like, uh, you have entries like, um, you know, Clarky the Clown, uh, which is, I think, in 2000, which is just, like, a kid's show clown that, like, tells you to kill your parents, you know? Oh, wait, that's, that was 99, was that Bob the Clown? Or is, is there two different ones? Or, there's, there's multiple clown SCPs, I know that. Uh, there's... Oh no, sorry, you're right. I am thinking of Bobble. Clarky the Clown is uh, part of the Circus of Darkness. Oh, yeah. oh man. I, I'm destroying my credibility as an SCP reader. Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. Yes, Clarky the Clown is... Oh, I didn't put... Oh, that's my cat outside. He desperately wants oh. in. Um... <laughs> Atlas, do you want to come in? He doesn't want to come into the studio. He just wants to meow at me. Uh, he was playing with our other cat and is very upset that he's been locked in the basement because he was playing too rough. Oh, so bad. he is. Yeah. He, he's a little baby. Well, I guess he's two years now, so he's not a super duper baby. But he's much younger than our older cat, who is seven and very large and fat and tired all the time <laughs> so yeah it's it's really an oh, unstoppable man. force and an unmovable object oh, yeah oh that's cute though right i, I uh, definitely miss having a pet but uh anyways <laughs> yes back to uh, the topics at hand gosh where were we? yeah clerky the clown i Circus of Shadows. I don't know. It's a bunch of killer clowns. Uh, Clarky is one of the weird clowns who is not a killer, um, and they get scooped up by the Foundation. And the entire time, they're you know talking to the interviewer, and they're scared that their older brother, uh, an evil clown, is going to come and kill them. And of course, the story ends with the evil clown uh, mm. also being scooped up by the Foundation and having a confrontation with Clarky, the not so evil clown. That's the one where they're all like weird shapes, like one's like a ball, and I think that's. I believe uh, so. That was that's a pretty yeah. cool. One. Definitely recommend that one. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, all, all that to say, like the SCP universe is so expansive and so wide that, like, of course you're gonna get tales that are more story centric or more uh, hilarious and weird, uh, and occasionally you'll get. Tales like SCP-1730, which is uh, long, so very long. Yeah, I actually haven't really dabbled much in the like the rewrites or expansion uh, ones. Uh, that's that is like a rewrite of 173. Right? No, it's uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, you're <laughs> so good. My brain interpreted it as 173-. No, it's um. It's uh, what happened to site thirteen. Oh duh, yes. Yeah. I literally read that one. Yeah, no, I we're so we're currently doing <laughs> a um an audio adaptation of seventeen thirty. Awesome. Uh yeah, and we we've broken up into this four part script. Um and it's gonna be what we air season three with. So March 9th, first episode is gonna be part one of seventeen thirty. Um because fun fact, that tale is like two hours long. Because uh, it has, like, 20 exploration logs and, like, wow. um, 
I, I end up condensing some of the characters because a lot of them were, you know, like one or yeah. two liners. But um, I think we still have a cast of about 34 people. Wow. Which is That's bonkers. Yeah. Right? You know, like, I, God, I think our next biggest article might be. Ah, God, I, I can't even. Th- like, maybe 3333, three, three, but that only had like eight or nine characters in it you know Hmm. it's been a strange jump from you know a relatively small cast to basically like an all hands on deck production i mean what's that like so a lot of other people don't really know but a lot of like a lot of the other creators i've talked to they tend to be like a very small team and that's it it's not like you know you're not working with all these different actors and things like that so like Especially from a podcast perspective, what's it like working with so many different voice actors? Yeah, um, honestly, pretty easy. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I've been doing podcasting for a while. Um, I think I'm coming up on five years this summer. Uh, and my, my first audio drama, Lake Clarity, was me and five friends in uh, our studio on campus recording lines and it was terrible uh <laughs> and it was many years ago um and people still listen to it every once in a while i get like a ping of like oh you know you got x number of new downloads uh, but you know that that was a very hands-on kind mm-hmm. of engaged thing um and scp is very different for you know two main reasons one it's all remote uh, which this ended up being a happy accident because um, very early on, you know, we wanted to work with uh, a lot of the actors that I'd mm. met through the fiction podcast community. Uh, and a lot of them live in New York or L.A. And a few of them live in like London and you know, ah. we have like one down in Florida, mm. one up in Chicago. You know, they're all kind of scattered about. Um, so we, we kind of set out with the intention of, you know, um, setting them up for remote recordings. Everyone had their own home studios uh, and, you know, being in the podcast community, uh, especially in the fiction podcast community, almost everyone else has day jobs. Um, so we basically gave them the script. We gave them, uh, you know, their roles and some very light direction. And we just said like, Hey, you know, uh, the nice thing about SCP is your character is going to die um, and or never be seen from again. So, like, you know, you can kind of get crazy with the character. You know, if you want to try out a new accent, if you want to try a new tone or character or anything else, uh, just go for it. And we gave our actors a lot of trust because uh, at no point did they interact with one oh, another. Wow. It was just like, hey, you five strangers um oftentimes uh actors wouldn't even know who they were acting against hmm. until the episode came That's out interesting. uh because right yeah we we'd send them a script uh and say like hey here's your deadline and good luck um and it you know very fortunately worked out we we have a, a lot of very very talented actors who are able to just take that and run and because it's an anthology because you know, there is a lot of creative freedom. Um, and, and because, you know, we have the archetypes of like, oh, here's the SCP soldier who's like gruff and the SCP soldier who's funny. And here's like the researcher who's like very cold and clinical. Um, you know, those were very easy archetypes to kind of play with and mesh with and mold. Um, 
But yeah, so for our first two seasons, uh, actors were totally just kind of disconnected and isolated in their own. Um, so, you know, when COVID hit, we were actually largely unaffected by it because, huh. uh, you know, aside from a few actors who we would record with locally, like all of our actors had home setups. So, yeah, we just uh, rolled with it and kept going. How convenient. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, for for season three and for some of our projects going forward uh, outside of SCP, um, we are taking a little bit more of a hands-on approach. Just uh, you know, first allowing actors to actually listen to mm. everyone else's audio. So we have like you know big old drop boxes full of just everyone's audio, so you can kind of like listen, hear what intonation they're going for and whatnot. Um, but you know, ultimately a lot of the continuity between characters lands on me. So, you know, as I'm going through and as I'm editing, if there's like a line that just doesn't sound quite right in response to another line or, uh, you know, an accent that feels a little mishmash, um, you know, usually that's when I'll like reach out to an actor and say like, Oh, Hey, you know, like, can you redo this bit or redo that bit? But that's happened so few times that, uh, Mm. you know, we've been, very fortunate not to have to like do huge retakes of like tons of episodes it's i like so i come from a film background and right my gut reaction would be like oh i'm sure you guys are doing table reads and yada yada it's interesting to see how remote um you guys can do and still get a, a pretty uh solid production off the ground yeah absolutely and like i said you know for all of my early productions like that's the only way i knew how to do it mm. um so it, it like i said it, it was very jarring and different to like yeah come into this world and be like well uh good luck actors <laughs> i'll see you in a week yeah. <laughs> you know? um yeah no it, it, it's very different uh but i i think that really just speaks to the talent of everyone we have on the cast and crew that they're able to just be so gosh dang awesome you know like really just you know they're, they're picking up the ball and um they'll, they'll come to me as like hey you know like i want to try out this voice or this accent or uh how's this word pronounced but aside from that like it it really is just the actor's own natural intuition and their skill and their you just expertise in performing so like you mentioned that you kind of all loosely knew each other through the horror or fiction podcast community um, do you kind of have like an ongoing relationship with a lot of these actors or is it more like a traditional, Oh, we just cast in the community kind of thing. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think some of our first actors were, were all people I had worked with before. Um, you know, we have, uh, Nicole Goodnight who I worked with very briefly on creepy cause I, I edited a few episodes for John uh, in the very early days. Um, but yeah, it was, oh gosh, what Russ Moore, uh, is another one of our iconic voices. Uh, he usually plays a soldier, usually a commanding soldier. Um, and he very often dies. Uh, he's someone I had worked with on, um, another show, Liberty Tales from the Tower, which I had, uh, co-written for and co-edited a few episodes of, um, and I, I remember like, gosh, probably a month or two before I actually started working on SCP in earnest, uh, I had edited an episode with him in it and I was like, wow, 
this guy has a really good voice. So I reached out to Travis and was like, hey, who is this dude? And he was like, oh, yeah, it's it's Russ. And um, I, I just kind of had his email, like, tucked away, waiting for something like SCP to pop up. Because, um, you know, I, I've i produced and I've directed a lot of shows. So, like, anytime I find an actor who's like, oh, you have a good voice, like, oh, you're really versatile, like, I, I just kind of, you know, grow my list of contacts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had the same thing. But yeah, but, you know, when we first started up, it was a lot of people that I had known or worked with, uh, at least in some capacity before, or at least been, like, very adjacent to. Mm. Um, but as we hit the season two, you know, we, we widened that net uh, just a little bit, just a little bit more to bring in, um, you know, in, S- yeah. in SCP-1730, you'll actually hear the voices of a lot of community members who... Uh, we're just podcast listeners who uh, were on our Discord, who were active, and you know just wanted That's to be cool. part of the show. So we've brought a lot of her. Yeah, so we brought them in because uh, ultimately SCP is yeah. a community project. So like we want everyone to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, so we brought them in. Uh, I brought in new actors that I worked with on other shows, um, and yeah, just opened up a bit more. So I think now we have a roster of like. 26 people almost 30 it's impressive yeah it's kind of interesting yeah. to see uh right the the process of how you get these people i think a lot of people just assume you do everything through like a casting network or something yeah and i mean you know there's been a few times i've opened up casting which you know that's something we generally do um very publicly you know we'll put it on our uh twitter we're putting on casting call club which is a great resource for voice actors um our, our main pool of actors generally comes from the Audio Drama Hub, which uh, if you're a podcaster or you want to get into fiction podcasting, go find the Audio Drama Hub on Facebook. It is, it's basically where anyone who's interested in fiction podcasting or has expertise in it, uh, it's where they go and they find actors, they talk through problems, they connect, they communicate. Um, yeah, it's basically like the cornerstone of the fiction podcast community worldwide. Oh, yeah, I actually never knew. I'm actually, I've always kind of been in and out. Like, my only experience with fiction podcasts is like a little bit of Welcome to Night Vale. I'm sure you like, you hear that a million times. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a niche of a niche because podcasting is, you know, a very new medium and like uh, it's growing pretty quickly year to year. I think, um, Gosh, I want to say like last year it was up to like, you know, some 10, 20 million people. The year before that, it was only like 4 million. So, like, it's growing, growing super quick. Uh, But it's still very small. And fiction podcasting, you know, um, until last year wasn't even a category on like any podcast app. Like, if you wanted to find. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. uh, Yeah. Like, if you want to find Welcome to Night Vale or The Black Tapes or you know um archive 81 uh they were crammed into the arts category Mm. alongside like um you know the moth which is like a you know a a loose kind of improv like hour-long talk show yeah um or or they're with like you know film and theater reviews (laughs) like it was just kind of a a smorgasbord of like ah yes it's kind of related to arts that's interesting yeah i didn't realize it was because i knew it was always around i mean I, I uh, went in high school was welcome to Night Vale was really started to, like take off. Yeah, I, th- that's that's what got me into it. You know, I I listened to Welcome to Night Vale in high school, and then in college I 
listened to the black tapes and I was like, huh, I bet I could make a podcast. So then I did like a fool. So that's really what kicked it all off. Yep. But yeah, no, you know, to your point, I think like you have shows like Welcome to Night Vale, which is to this day still like one of the biggest fiction podcasts out there. Um, and that's, that's really where most people get into it. You know, like I think a lot of people don't even know that like old radio dramas from the fifties have quite made the return that they have, you know? Mm. Yeah. Actually I did hear about this kind of recently. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, if you track it back a few years, like, you know, the BBC has always done, uh, radio dramas, um, Obviously, America used to do it back in the 50s, but, mm-hmm. you know, when TV came into fashion, like, a lot of those radio plays fell out of favor, um, at least in America. Yeah. You know, worldwide, and especially in Europe, like, they're still very persistent, a very active market. Um, yeah, in America, you know, it's kind of like reteaching people, like, oh, no, it's it's a movie without the video, you know? <laughs> I think... Uh... If anyone has free time, definitely. I so I had this old, uh, this local college uh, radio station that like, at like one a.m. on like Tuesday nights, mm-hmm. they would play old like radio dramas from like the forties and fifties. Hell they're, they're yeah! They're so fun. Like they're definitely very very dated. Um, oh yeah, but there's something it, very charming, kind of fun about that. Right. Uh, anything by um, Orson Welles is wonderful. Uh, you know, he went on to direct Citizen Kane, but he started with uh, perhaps the most infamous War of the Worlds. Yeah. You know, he did mm-hmm. the the radio drama that stopped the globe. Um, but, you know, he, he also did a, a bunch of other stuff with, um, oh, what was the studio's name? Mercury Theater on the Air. Uh, and they did, you know, The Stranger, which I think has been adapted and turned into... Um, hmm. Maybe a Twilight Zone episode, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, you know, that's basically you're driving a, along a highway late at night and you see a stranger on the side of the road. You pick him up. Mm-hmm. The classic, like, hitchhiker ghost story. Um, and Mercury Theater is known for doing just a slew of other things, uh, all of which you can find on YouTube or on, uh, last I checked, they were all on Apple podcasts and I bet they probably still are. Um, yeah. And you know, it's just like the old archived audio and it's, uh, yeah, a little grainy, but other than that, like (laughs) it's still pretty good. Yeah. I know. I remember, I think the last one I was listening to was like a, it was like a spy adventure, uh, story. And so yes. I think the thing that I thought was super interesting was like, obviously they're like, this was like a globetrotting one. So they're going to different areas of the world. So every time there was a new scene, mm-hmm. they always like had to get like a really, really exaggerated. Like, for example, they were like, I think in um, some sort of like, a, I think they were in Cairo. So they just start playing like the most stereotypical, mm-hmm. like Egyptian music, yep. <laughs> things like that, uh, which is kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, like, those audio cues are, are totally still around today. You know, it's, um, you know, modern podcasters rely a lot less on uh, music just yeah. because more of them tend to prefer, you know, sound effects. But, um, you know, if you listen to any, you know, current audio genre or fiction podcast, uh, you will hear probably at some point the same, like, 
rustling of leaves or wind blowing through the treetops or bird chirp number 72, you know, just these little audio cues to help you establish place and scene um, and everything else like that. You know, for, for SCP archives, probably our most uh, commonly used and probably our most popular sound is we have a um, an old cassette tape fast forwarding. So right before and right after an audio log plays, we'll have just like a click and then another little click. And then we'll have like some person's voice come on with, you know, a lot of uh, texture and kind of grain added to it to make it sound like old and a little warbly, Um, you know, so that way you may not know where they are, but you know, they're on a tape being played for you. Yeah. I kind of see almost like as an establishing shot of a film or TV show. Exactly that. Sets the mood. Yeah, and, and, you know, uh, to that point, sound design very much is, like, the visuals of this world. It is the, you know, director of photography. It is the framing shots that are beautifully well done. Mm. It is the over-the-shoulder that is suspenseful and creepy. I mean, even with film, um, like, this past year, I thankfully have someone on my team, Nick, who does all the sound design stuff. And it, like, it it will make or break Mm -hmm. films, the sound design. And it's something that a lot of people don't aren't as aware of oh yeah usually they say with good sound design or good editing you never notice it exactly and <laughs> perhaps the most messed up thing is that rule is so true and perhaps even more prevalent in in podcasting you know um yeah like you said good sound design is something you'll never notice and the moment you notice it is you know um it's a train wreck that's everything falling <laughs> apart uh, when your entire show is only sounds, holy heck, you better make sure every sound is just you know right. Because so. if there, there is nothing more jarring or you know something that will take you out of the scene more than a bird chirp that is too loud and like mm. not quite right. Or you know like um, uh, it, it can be hard finding sound effects that like sound realistic because you you don't want a real sound you know if i want um ice cracking i'm not going to use the sound of ice cracking because ice cracking is really quiet and really hard to find uh instead i'm going to use plastic cracking because it's a little over dramatic uh it's a little over dramatic but it more effectively conveys you know oh something is cracking and breaking and uh you know five decades of movies yeah. have programmed Americans to uh, identify ice breaking as the sound of plastic creaking and breaking uh, because of Foley in, in movies, you know, um, sound designers for visual very often, you know, uh, don't use real sounds. They use um, synthetic noises that sound correct. Yeah. Like, uh, gosh, you know, there, there's a million movies and shows and interviews you can watch with Foley artists, but uh, most commonly, I think of um, someone who is doing something for Pixar where basically there's like a little lion club who had uh, claws <laughs> and they were climbing up a tree. Um, so a man made a glove, uh, tied some nails to the tips of his fingers and found, I think it was a piece of sandpaper and basically like scratched that. Um, and then, you know, uh, to like hmm. emulate the, the lions, you know, mouth uh you know he had gotten like what was it it was like a sheet of grass 
and like some water and like and move that wow. around. Yeah, just the, these That's crazy. right. Yeah, these yeah. really weird random combinations that you know you wouldn't think sound like whatever you're seeing, but do you know it, it's all about the art of making something realistic sound more than realistic mm-hmm. because realistic noises just don't cut it if that makes sense no they don't yeah. yeah well like for film they always say like make a make your shot 200 times as exciting as you think it is because like the camera yep. is going to mute it and really make it half as exciting as you envision it would be exactly yeah like there, there's so much you lose just in that translation <laughs> There was a, a really interesting interview. I can't remember what the interview was, but it was about this Foley artist. I think he did some of the stuff for Batman, like uh, Christopher Nolan's film. But basically he was saying when he grew up, what really got him into mm-hmm. Foley stuff is he would just carry uh, like a tape cassette around and he would just record sounds and try to like play this game. Oh, like, yeah. Okay, this is like maybe this is a car um, engine popping, but oh, this also sounds like this. I'm kind of playing this like uh, mix and match kind of game uh, and then would just do edits on top of that that kind of yeah played the uh tricks tricks on the mind oh yeah exactly yeah and it's uh probably the biggest time sink whenever i add an episode is just finding the right sound <laughs> so I, I have um gosh i think i'm up to four different sound libraries right now and you know i'll, I'll kind of picture a noise in my head you know let's say it's um Oh, it's something weird I had to do recently. Uh, oh, dismemberment. That's a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had a character whose uh, arm got torn off and, uh, you know, basically popped out of its socket. Um, and I spent probably a good hour just, like, going through different sound banks trying to find the right thing. Uh, and I think I ended up using um, a melon that was getting kind of like gutted for the the wet squelches, uh, and I had used wood being uh, broken and kind of like cracking as a lot of the the bone popping, you know. Um, and you know, the the wood popping I could also use for a fire. If I had a fire, you know, you get those like distinct little pops of wood. Um, could have used it for that. I could have used it uh, for ice cracking or breaking um i could have used it for a very suspenseful moment when someone's walking through the woods and they accidentally step on a twig you know like it's a very versatile sound um but then you know i i add yeah some wet mushing and i add um you know an actor's scream and uh you know a monster growl and now suddenly it's it dismemberment instead of a, a fire on top of a an icy river right yeah, that's interesting how the context and what else it's uh, played side by side with completely changes the sound and the meaning of it. Yeah, and perhaps one of the biggest strengths to um, SCP as an audio format is every article is written with narration in mind. You know, you have item number and special containment procedures and description and. Um, generally even in like your audio logs because, or in your like video logs, uh, because the wiki is, you know, a text format, you'll have like little, like, um, you know, italicized notes like, oh, MTF alpha four, uh, steps into this room and turns around and sees a mummified corpse. 
um, which saves me a lot of time as as a sound designer because the narrator just told you that. So now I don't have to, you know, um, have the actor like take a bunch of steps. I can have, you know, uh, a creak of the floor. I can have a turn of the heel. I can have a gasp and that's all I need. And that can play under the narrator telling you what's happening. Um, which as I'm sure, you know, in fiction, you're often told, you know, like show don't tell, but in fiction podcasting, you can get away with a little bit of telling, you know, um, and, and you obviously don't want to overtell and you still want to have those elements of showing. You still want to have your actors gasping and screaming and crying. Um, but you can also narrate to them. You can tell them what's happening. You can, you know, tell them like, Oh, you, you're coming into the room and seeing a corpse, you're falling through the floor and you have, you know, some sound of like rocks falling and debris or whatever it is. Um, and, and you can build these scenes with a lot of similar elements to influence, you know, Oh, like that sound isn't this, it's that. And, uh, this gasp isn't for this reason. It's for that reason, you know? And you can play with and you can change that context uh, with just a, a few simple words. Yeah, so, I mean, so we're talking about the creative process a lot. And one of the things I want to ask you is for people who have been getting interested in fictional podcasts, is there kind of like any general tips or advice that could save them pain <laughs> getting in? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, first... Um, everyone will tell you it's a super accessible medium, uh, and it's mm -hmm. next to free and they're kind of right. It is super accessible. It's not free. Um, mm -hmm. so expect to have yeah. to pay money, at least for a microphone. Um, you know, you're gonna have to spend time writing a script, whatever that is, you know, it, it's, uh, oh, and most importantly, it's not a get rich fast scheme mm. um after five years <laughs> five years i am just now starting to you know generate income and make this uh, more of a full-time job you know it, it is a very long-term investment um that said it's incredibly worthwhile because uh you have more freedom and more control um and more ability to try and fail and succeed at doing really crazy out there ideas, you know, um, because you're not working with, you know, a film budget because you're not trying to mimic visuals because humans are, are really good at, you know, visuals and like what's right or wrong. Um, audio, it's a lot easier to trick humans into like thinking, Oh yeah, that, that sounds correct. Um, but yeah, you know, be, be prepared for a long journey. Uh, but most of all, you know, know that there is uh, a very wonderful community. And if you tap into it and you reach out to other creators and you reach out to artists and actors, um, you know, these are the people who will uh, give you advice on how to edit your audio, on how to promote your show. Um, they'll have you on their show. You know, it, it's a very collaborative thing. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, I, I give my actors a script and I just kind of let them go with it. Uh, a lot of it is just having trust in your team and in your coworkers and, you know, um, yeah, like, like I said, letting them run away with, you know, it, it's not 
my script and my sound design and my story. It is, uh, you know, Tahoni's script and uh, my sound design and my composer's music and my actor's interpretations and uh, my narrator's intonation. You know, it's a culmination of so many different little moving parts, you know. Um, And while a lot of my identity is in the show, uh, ultimately it is... Uh, a wholly unique thing created by many different people. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally all about the whole collaborative creative process. Yeah, um, and yeah, you know, I I went to school for uh, writing, and uh, I, I um, focused on uh, stage writing, right? And one of the things I remember my teacher telling me is like, you know, when you write uh, when you write a sc- uh, not a screenplay, um, a stage play very specifically a stage play the only thing that won't get changed is the dialogue that the the characters say everything else is fair game so if you have stage notes about you know lucy entering from stage left she might enter from stage right she might enter from stage uh you know back whatever works best for the set desire you say it takes place in you know, 50s Chicago, oh, well, now it's, uh, you know, 70s Delaware, because the topics were appropriate for that, <laughs> um, or that's what the costume designer specialized yeah. in. The actors won't look like what you think they look like, the costumes will be different, the set will be different, um, not even just from what you imagine, but from place to place, you know, look at, uh, hmm. God, you know, any, any stage play out there, but, like, the only thing that keeps, um, you know, Arthur Miller's death of a salesman the same is the words the actors say everything else changes and uh, you should be accepting and furthermore embrace that change because it's a good thing because uh, quite truthfully you know like I'm I'm a full-time artist I podcast full-time now that's really cool and rad but truthfully I'm not that great of an artist you know the the thing that makes my show good is that I have all these other very incredibly talented people around me that, you know, boost the performance and boost it. And, you know, I contribute my part and that's kind of all I can do. You know, I have to rely on my actors to act. I have to rely on my composer to make beautiful, incredible music that's, you know, fitting for a scene. I have to trust, um, you know, if someone else is doing sound design that week, I have to trust them to correctly do sound design and to have their own interpretation of what uh cracking ice sounds like you know yeah i've just from personal experience i've kind of found through trial and error the idea of the one-man band is you almost always get i mean there are those freaks not freaks but you know there's people out there that are the exception (laughs) but i find for the for the average normal person it's just so much better you end up having enjoying it so much more the process if you kind of you pick your role that you're good at and you fill in, you let your team fill in for all the things that you're a lot weaker at. Um, cover yourself, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, like I said, I, I generally, um, I, I think I've designated myself as the showrunner for SCP archives because, you know, I, I take care of the budget and, uh, I take care of the casting and I take care of the sound design for the show. Um, and, you know, I used to do a little bit more. I used to do more acting. I used to do more script finding. And, you know, I've since been able to outsource most of that, which is great. Um, you know, and very often when you're 
when you're first starting up, you know, podcasting will ask you to wear a lot of different hats, um, at least, you know, actor and editor, um, but oftentimes also the writer and uh, the social media advertiser and, um, you know, any, you know, the graphic designer. I do a lot of our graphic design currently. Um, so you'll have to wear a lot of different hats, but as much of that as you can share, you know, share it's it's the best thing you can do you know share it with your friends share it with your coworkers. listen to other people's ideas you know um and i i think you know that's probably the coolest thing about the scp wiki as a whole you know it's all under creative commons share like 3.0 uh which means you can take an article from the website and you can uh cut a few lines of it you can recast a character you can um turn it into an audio form you could turn it into a movie you could turn it into an animation you know it, it's allows you to transform it and uh you know i will say right here now like i know i've i we generally try and keep pretty original to the stories um and very rarely do we like edit scripts because often we don't have to but once in a while we do you know once in a while um we'll cast a character who is male as female and we'll you know change the pronouns uh, or we'll change um some of their lines or you know a little tweak here and there uh and that's that's okay because it, it's a collaborative thing you know it's it's okay to come in and transform and change it and you know do what fits you best now for 1730 we condensed a lot of roles because uh, I want to give my actors longer roles instead of like a lot of different little short ones. So, you know, now we have, um, you know, an MTF team that's three people instead of four. Uh, and, you know, it may not be super duper faithful, but it is kind of in the spirit of collaborating, collaborating and sharing and uh, changing and transforming, you know? Yeah, I personally, especially because I do. Well, I used to do live action adaptations. I'm moving to animation now. Right. Uh, but I, with video especially, when you have like budget restraints, um, I was even more forced to like, all right, I know yeah. this is how the story is on paper, but I really have to like make some decisions here to make it work. Uh, right. Yeah. Something is going to have to get cut or, you know, a prop's not going to be exactly the same. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, I think most people nowadays in the SP community, like, they get it. I don't really get that many comments of, like, uh, this thing is off and this thing is off. Because there's so many creators out there that I feel like they're just kind of like, here's my adaptation. Here's my kind of version of it. Right. And, I'm, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, that's, that's off the wiki. But think about on the wiki, you know. Um, there's not even like one canonical hub. There's yeah. the Broken Masquerade. There's the Broken God. There's um, exactly yeah. Uh, the Scarlet King. You know, like there there's so many hubs, and they all work so well because you know you, you take a, a core principle, you could take a core idea. You know, here's an article. Parts of it are redacted. Um, the only constant is that there is a foundation that has at one point captured this thing. And aside from that, like, you know, you can change that idea and you can make it yours and you can make it unique, you know, so you can have um, a story like Lamplight set a few thousand years in the future where humanity has colonized the galaxy and now lives on the far distant edge. 
um, you can have a story like uh, 1730, which is about a foundation from a different dimension that gets teleported into our world and is uh, hectic, to say the least. You can have seven different interpretations of hell. You can have uh, eight different gods from different religions all fighting in space in the cosmos, you know. Um, and that, that collaboration, I think, is probably the reason the wiki is so popular and the reason the wiki has existed for so long because anyone can come and have their idea, you know, be true and be valid and, uh, you know, get shared, right? It's, it's a very interesting social experiment, the whole wiki. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. And the fact that it lasted this long is just amazing, in my opinion. Yeah, and the and the fact that it's only you know started speeding up, it's not you know slowing down by any means. Yeah, it's not slowing down at all, not at all. Uh, it's yeah, I think literally the past last year was like the biggest year by a long shot for the wiki and also just the amount of creators that have been sprouting up. Yeah, including me in the past few years and you. Uh, that's that's one thing that's kind of interesting with the podcast since it's guest based. I'm finding new creators. That are like blowing right. up on YouTube, on you know whatever social media site out there. Like every few months, oh, yeah. it's like there's just someone new uh, cropping up, which is kind of it's exciting. Right. And I mean, you know, it's I, I'm I'm a very strong believer in the Creator Commons. I think the more you share your work and the more you allow others to add to it, the better it'll be. Um, yeah, as if the last like ten minutes haven't been obvious. Um, but you know, I I think that's also what makes our community unique. You know, like. You have companies like Disney who own, you know, Star Wars and all of Marvel and everything else now, right? And, you know, Star Wars is awesome. I could only imagine what it'd look like if, you know, every person who loved Star Wars... And, and you know, there, there's a fan fiction community, and that's almost there. But imagine, yeah, if, you know, the average Joe could, you know, make a Star Wars movie and post it on YouTube. You know, you'd get uh, a lot of really cool and really creative... Uh, characters and universes and explanations for things, you know, uh, perhaps a better explanation for why the force is the way it is. That's not bugs in your body. <laughs> yeah. uh, Warhammer, they're kind of interesting as a company because they're very loose with their license. So that's what's kind of made. I don't know if you right. know about Stardis, um, but he's this guy who made these extremely amazing high quality animations retelling some stories in that universe. Mm -hmm. And that's like a great example of like, just some random dude who just was super talented and he just added like probably the best some of the best animated uh single like just him single man animations i've ever seen and warhammer is yeah. like it's cool because we don't we're not like disney where we're like we'll we'll ban hammer if you make a dime off of our our property right um mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, obviously we're biased. We're both in the SV community, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I I also look at other communities like um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Metro franchise, like Metro Twenty Thirty Three. Yeah, yeah, I know the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's basically Russian Fallout. Uh, but the cool thing about that is when it first started, the um, the creator. Uh, Alex Golosky, I'm probably butchering his last name. Um, but you know, he he uh, was just posting chapters on his website for free, and uh, he'd started forming. He's like, "Hey, if you want to write a story set in the metro, like, do it here. Like, write it here. Like, 
come and join this, you know, collaborative fiction project with me. Um, and, you know, now that's been turned into a video game franchise, there's some comic books. Um, I believe there's a live action adaptation in the works, like a shorter oh, really? one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all, all these other cool things. And, you know, part of the popularity for that is because this guy, was, you know, I think he was like 19, 1920 when he started writing it. And he just opened up for everyone. Easy concept. Everyone in Russia, or, well, everyone in Moscow, lives in the metro system because nukes fell. Uh, what happens next? You know, like, and you play with that idea, and you grow, and you expand, and uh, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, I actually never knew it was that open, like, source. Yeah. And I believe um, I believe the universe itself still is. I believe the books are, you know, a little more restriction because obviously they're his own creative works um but i i believe the general metro world itself is still uh in the creative commons that's all awesome. i mean so speaking of creative commons just this is a slight tangent I, but i just i feel like i gotta point this out so yeah in america we have this thing called uh, public domain and the reason why public domain has been stuck since the yes. 19 like tens is because of your boy mickey mouse Fucking Mickey Mouse. Yep. So. Goddamn Disney. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I have such a huge grudge yeah. against Disney. Um, for for that fact alone, you know, aside mm-hmm. from the fact that they're a media monopoly that has gobbled up every other industry in America. Um, no, I, I hate that stupid mouse. Uh, but yeah, you know, off of James's point, for folks who aren't familiar. Um. Oh God, what what is copyright law in America now? It it used to be like life plus like fifty years, which is what copyright and not even it, yeah. it was even shorter. Um, um but yeah, they keep yeah, it's 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 really complicated. It's been expanded <laughs> yeah. a few times. Um, but yeah, it, in most modern European countries right now, it's like life plus fifty or life plus seventy. So, hmm. um, you know, the author lives, the author dies, uh, their family has the you know um ownership of that property or maybe a company depending on how it fell uh and then 70 years after the author has died it's released into the public domain and that's how you get things like sherlock holmes Mm -hmm. uh which is wildly popular because it's public domain and anyone can make a sherlock holmes story uh perhaps too many people look at (laughs) elementary and uh the robert downey jr sherlock holmes and the bbc sherlock holmes you know hey the more the merrier. Exactly, right? <laughs> and why not? Why not make a new Sherlock Holmes? Everyone knows Sherlock Holmes. He's so popular. Uh, you know, the basics of the character is he's a detective. It, it's easy to work with that, right? Yeah. Um, but Disney decided, you know, uh, fuck artists and fuck the creative commons and public domain. Um. I realize I don't think I've cursed this entire episode <laughs> right there. <laughs> no worries. That's <laughs> how so, so much the stupid mouse boils my blood. <laughs> um, but yeah, now it's like life plus 70 years plus like an additional 30 if he wrote it or if the author wrote it for a company like Disney. So, um, you know, if uh, – I don't know. James Cameron writes a new Avatar movie for – Fox, which is now owned by Disney, you know, that that world won't enter the public domain until 
you know, like another 130 years from now, assuming he dies in like 30 years, which, you know, he might. Um, but yeah, like that that's such a huge gap in the public domain. And uh, as a lot of people might be aware, you know, um, The Great Gatsby just came into the public domain this year. Last year, 20, was it was 2020, maybe it was 2019. Um, that was the first year in like four decades that anything entered the public yeah. domain. It's ridiculous. Which is, it's crazy. That said, though, that said, we are starting to get a lot of really bopping, like, jazz and country music from the 1920s, like, entering exactly. the public like, domain. Oh, man, exactly. it's so good. What's frustrating is, like, if they didn't keep extending this, there'd be some great songs from the 40s and 30s that we'd have access to right now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, there's just, like, it's, even 50s. There's so many great, like, Frank Sinatra songs, Louis Armstrong. Like, ah, and it just literally right. just because of a mouse. <laughs> we don't have access to these things. Right. And, yeah, I, I think there's inherently this idea that, you know, if you create something, it's yours and you want it to be yours, you know. Um, obviously you and I, you know, we work in, in film and audio and those tend to be very collaborative because of actors and because of, you know, stage managers and filmmakers and everything else. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's say, let's say you're an novelist like Stephen King, you know, obviously he sat down and he wrote those 400 pages over the course of a year or whatever it was. Right. Uh, and yeah, of course you're going to have a deep sense of ownership and pride over that because you made it and that's cool but at the same time it's like well if if someone loves the thing you made you know if someone really loves mickey mouse like why not just let them draw mickey mouse you know why not let them you know make their own fan comic or a short film or a t-shirt line you know like why not share I, and I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to is like it's just the idea of like oh no 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 this is my ball. You can look at it, but that's it. Well, especially after the creator's been dead for so long. It's just, to me, it's yeah, just it's like, right? Like, listen, if I'm dead, I don't care what you do with yeah. fucking anything I've made. You know, uh, you can even my bones, dig them up and like put them <laughs> on display somewhere. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, now, I, I, I've secretly committed myself to, um, you know, by the time I, before I die, I, I'd like to commit the few works that I've made so far to the public domain. Which, you know, right now, as a, a low-budget podcaster who has um, worked on one big Creative Commons project and a few other private ones, like Lake Clarity and, like, um, hmm. Margaret's Garden, and there's, like, five other shows that I've made that I don't want to think about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would love for those worlds to exist and I, I would love for you know other creators to come and make them make things in this world um and, you know I, I was very fortunate early on in my career uh you know lake clarity um very quickly like caught on with a lot of like uh, fiction podcast listeners and, and it was uh, pretty popular at the time and we received fan fiction um from just you know someone who listened to the show and had like interacted with us on like tumblr and twitter a few times uh, it was called Cheesy Fears, and basically it was, like, the entire gang was making, um, or, yeah, I had five characters, they're all teens, you know, they, they go into the woods and die, uh, cause that's, that's what happens in horror, right? Um, 
But this was like set up as like basically they were all together and they were watching a a horror movie about a cheesy Cthulhu like monster. And that Cthulhu like monster came through the TV, so then there's like all these little slices and blocks of cheese flying around killing them. So we had, like, cheesy bats um, that were, like, clawing at their hairs and, like, uh, some cheese that, like, got it in their throats and, like, choked them. And basically everyone had these, like, really bad cheesy deaths. Wow. <laughs> and there's a bunch of cheese puns in it. And it's, like, the stupidest, silliest thing ever. And it is perhaps my favorite Lake Clarity thing ever. And it's the only thing in, the, in Lake Clarity that I didn't make or write myself or, you know, with the help of friends, right? Uh, it was just like someone wrote this and gave it to me, so I rounded up the entire cast and I made them record it. <laughs> wow, that's great! Oh man, and it is—it's again single-handedly the sole best thing to come out of the entire like Lake Clarity world that I crafted is this weird cheesy fan fiction. There's a oh man, it's so good. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I think the counter argument to all of this is that uh, when artists it's money, well, money definitely. But I think like the when the author's alive, their idea is like they only want a very specific version of their world, and they don't want other people uh, just changing the narrative or the lore of that world. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And like you know, listen, yeah, if you if you made something and you know, I wanted share the stuff I make that's just for me if you make something and you want to hold on to it like yeah do it but it doesn't need to in my opinion it doesn't need to go on at least a hundred years after you die no I'm I'm all with you on that yeah yeah. Uh, let, let someone else take a turn you're dead now you, what's the matter to you your bones I, I want to ask you about this a little bit yeah just briefly what kind of other things have you done outside of the uh, SV universe. Uh. Oh, man. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. So currently I'm working on another show called Margaret's Garden, which is um, it's very SCP adjacent. Uh, and if you like SCP, I think you'd feel right at home. It's two agents from a mysterious government bureau are sent to investigate uh, the small town called Everton. Um, 50 years ago, everyone from Everton just vanished overnight and it's one of those like great kind of unsolved mysteries uh well flash forward to today something happened and basically like um everything in like the 10 mile areas outside of everton uh suffered a major blackout which is kind of weird so these two agents get sent in check it out make sure everything's like you know okay uh, and they get sucked into a strange energy rift that pulls them from our world and sucks them into another dimension of ideas and thoughts and fantasy, almost, right? Um, so they, they find themselves in uh, you know a, a sort of astral plane where they encounter um, the remnants of a failed human society... Uh, strange uh, shark rhino creatures that run a motel. Um, 
lizard things, uh, something called tithers that are terrifying, and I think scorpion-like, it's not really clear, but they are quite sharp and metallic and robotic, and they do come and kill the small baby astral creatures that still exist. Um, and a bunch of other weird stuff, all in search of Margaret, because Margaret has gone missing, kind of. Um, yeah, it's basically a 10-episode <laughs> exploration log of a really weird SCP. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, threshold fiction, uh, you know, portals and stuff. Um, there's horror, there's some fantasy elements, uh, and there's there's a lot going on, and it's a fun mystery. Hmm, that's a really cool premise. Um, I like that. Yeah, we're on uh, episode five right now, um, and we release a new episode every other week, uh, every other Thursday. Um, so yeah, you can catch the first half of the show now, and uh, our finale airs on I want to say April seventh, first, the first Thursday of April. Um, so yeah, yeah. Check it out. Listen to it. It's a fun time. Uh, it's really weird. Um, <laughs> before that, <laughs> I've also worked on, uh, yeah, I, I mentioned Lake Clarity, which was my first fiction podcast, which I wrote back in like 2015, eh, 2015 2016. Um, that's about five teens who go up to a supposedly cursed campsite and uh, terrible things happen to them. Um, after that, I worked on a show called Aftershocks, which is uh, about um, a girl, Riley, who has uh, schizophrenia. And um, the, the purpose of this show was to have a show where, you know, um, someone with uh, a mental health condition, you know, could be the hero of their own story. Um, so, you know, we, we spent a lot of time researching uh, schizophrenia specifically and finding a way um, for it to work in our story and uh, being very respectful of it. Um, you know, same with one of our characters has Tourette's in that story. So, you know, we wanted to also represent that in a way that was realistic and not like, oh, haha, you know, you said a funny word because you have Tourette's. But like, you know, a, a realistic interpretation of that. Because um, again, you know, it's, it's very rare that you have a character with Tourette's in media that isn't just like kind of a gag, right? Yeah. And the fact that most Tourette's isn't even like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the whole idea was to have a show where, um, you know, there's mental health and horror where the person with the mental health uh, condition wasn't, you know, the monster or the serial killer, but was the hero of the story. Um, and it, it's a ghost story, and it's really fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was way back when, but that was uh, written by... Um, one of the co-creators of Lake Clarity, uh, Vin Ernst, who is an incredible fiction podcaster and writer. Um, after that, let's see, I worked on a show called The Enoch Saga, which was the interpret, uh, which was the audio drama adaption of a book, um, which I need to finish, and I promise I will someday. Uh, we're <laughs> about halfway through the book, and we came to a stopping point for other projects. Um, and then I, I've worked on a, a bunch of other fiction podcasts. I've worked on uh, Liberty, Tales from the Tower, which is a uh, far future sci-fi horror show. Basically, there's a city on a planet. Inside the city, it's this kind of totalitarian government. 
outside it's like Mad Max style raiders and cannibals. Mm. Um, it's really cool. It's you know it's really fun. You know, far future sci-fi. Um, let's see. I've worked on some of the mini seasons for White Volts, which is a uh, horror story set in the Arctic Circle. Um, it's set in uh, Svels. Oh god, am I going to butcher that? Svelsbarg? Svelsbog? I'm so sorry, folks who live nearer there. Um, um, but that's, that's the Norway, right? Yep. Yeah, northern yeah. Norway. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's in the Arctic Circle. Basically, uh, a small team of expeditionists is sent to uh, repair this radio station, and things go wrong as they do. Um, it's an incredible show. They're currently on their fourth season, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I like I said, I helped edit one of their um, side seasons, White Volts artifact which i think aired between season one and season two if i'm correct um and then and that's uh white vault and liberty are both made by fool and scholar which are some incredible audio fiction people uh they just make like the best of the best fiction podcasts and you need to check them out um yeah and then aside from that i've i've you know worked on a bunch of other shows done some acting here and there uh, if you get really into like fiction podcasting, especially stuff that's like one or two years old, uh, you'll probably hear me pop up in a few places. Wow, you've been around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I you know I I was very fortunate that I started fiction podcasting when I was in college, hmm. um, and one of my jobs was uh, on campus as a um, I, you know, I I worked off campus like on the weekends at a restaurant. Uh, but during the week, Monday through Friday, I worked on campus as a journalist in the student media office, um, which meant I, I was an editor for our weekly newspaper. Uh, and then after that, I was an editor for our art magazine, and then I was in radio for a bit. Um, but really what that meant is, like, I sent people out on assignments, and then Monday and Tuesday of my week was a terrible nightmare where I was up until 2 a.m. every day, like, oh, working on the newspaper, doing layout and stuff. Uh, and then the rest of the week, I just kind of got paid to sit around the office. So I just, <laughs> I just yeah. did a lot of like podcast my stuff. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, I just got involved. I acted where I could. I edited. I, you know, just did anything I could to, like, you know, break into the community. And, uh, you know, also learn. Because when I first made like clarity i had never made a podcast before i'd never you know worked in a radio station or used a booth or anything like that um so it was all a learning experience it was like hey you know like uh let me come edit your show i have adobe audition i have some sound effects that i think are kind of cool and um you know i'll spend four or five hours you know editing your you know 10 20 minute episode making it sound nice and pretty um, you know, just so I could practice cause I, I could only write and direct so much and I just, I wanted more and more audio. I was like, well, the best way to do this is just reach out and say like, Hey, can I add an episode for you? Or like, Hey, you know, can I do this thing for you? Um, and you know, through working with a bunch of people, I, uh, got my start. I learned how to edit, uh, pretty decently. I hope, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're uh, a pretty SCPR cause is a pretty popular show. So I think people like my sound design or perhaps better yet. Maybe they haven't even noticed it, yeah. which I think that's is what, probably that's the best want. I could hope for. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but yeah, you know, it, it was just all about, you know, like, like I said, I was, I was in college. I wanted to learn how to do these things. So I spent a lot of time just struggling through them, trying to figure it out. I think that's one of the best ways to learn, too. I mean, that's kind of why I did the YouTube uh, channel. Yeah, absolutely. more, like, on the grounds. Right. Just experience. Just doing it and learning as you go. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that's the best way to learn is just to... Yeah. Start, right? Just pick it up. Because I, you know, before I did any audio, I uh, I had done, um, you know, films and video stuff in high school. Um, so it was a bit of a weird transition to me because I was so used to, like, uh, you know, thinking about and writing for visuals, right? And now I'm transferring into this world where there are no visuals. Um, fortunately... Uh, Adobe Audition is very similar to Adobe Premiere. Um, so if you know one, you kind of know the other. You, know, you hmm, can kind of yeah. stumble your way through yep. it. Nope, yeah, they're very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah there, there's a splice feature. That's really all you need, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, spending time and learning things that you care about and like, you know. Um, in, in later years of college, uh, I you know dabbled in a little a very a very small amount of like um video game stuff and design you know just some very like basic levels um you know my my senior thesis was making a uh very short um choose your own adventure is a copyright a copywritten term uh so it was a choice based that. story adventure why <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> um yeah i if you're ever on like um like itch.io which is like a nice little marketplace for a lot of small games uh choose your own adventure is no longer a tag um i think it's like choice based games are uh because choose your own adventure is um very active about protecting that copyright and has uh you know, I think they sued Netflix for Bandersnatch because oh, wow. in one of their marketing materials, they're like, "Oh yeah, you can choose your own choices or adventure." Oh, you know, it's like just close enough that it's like, "Oh, mm -mm, choose your own adventure." That's uh, that's ours. So give us money, and I think they won, if I'm not mistaken, too. Stories like that just remind me of like Gene Simmons trying to copyright the word orange juice. Uh, yeah, or like Bethesda trying to copyright yes, scrolls. Yes. I don't uh, <laughs> remember that. But, um, fuck, what were we saying right before the copyright stuff? It just completely derailed me. It just oh, triggers yeah, me. Yeah. Always oh. copyright. Oh, <laughs> uh, creating Adobe Audition. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, so choose your, yeah, yeah, I worked mm -hmm. on some video game stuff. I'm actually learning Unreal now, yep. actually. Unreal is. So much fun, and the blueprints are the best gosh darn thing I've ever had to work with. I hate C sharp. I hate C sharp so much. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I made a, a little prototype side scroller in Unreal, and it took me like three hours. It's crazy how wow, like yeah. mm -hmm. good that engine is. It's I've been using it for film reasons and also uh, virtual live. Streaming. Oh yeah, no, it's awesome, and it's mm -hmm. insane. Um, like I literally yeah. was able to set up live on one model. I was able to set up live face capture and live body motion animation 
um, which was like, hell yeah. And it took me a week to figure it out, but <laughs> because there's like, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot, I'm not getting into it, but there's basically normally the way you do it is by buying all these expensive programs. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, Unreal's free and, uh, yeah, it can do anything you want it to do. So we are nearing the end of the podcast, but before we wrap it up, is there any last things you want to chat about or things you want to shout out? Um, definitely go check out Margaret's Garden. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's really weird. Um, yeah. Uh, like, like I said, it's like SCP, but if SCP had a narrator that was like really tongue in cheek about it, mm. think like Lemony Snicket. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, SCP meets Lemony Snicket meets like weird, uh, mucked up fantasy realm. Um, everything's so bad. It's, oh, I love it. Um, yeah, aside from that, uh, SCP Archives, season three, coming March 9th. Um, I don't know when this episode will air exactly. I imagine it's probably before March 9th. If it's after, uh, season three is out and you should listen to it. Um, yeah, and otherwise, uh, you know, check out the Blade Disgusting Podcast Network. Um, it's a wonderful place to get all of your horror news. Uh, you know, we have SCP archives on the network. We have Creepy, which is all your favorite creepy pastas and no sleep stories um, with wonderful, incredible narration and sound design. Uh, we have Boo Crew, which is interviews with every horror icon you could think of, and uh, Horror Queers, which is you know, um, in-depth analysis of LGBTQ horror films. Uh, and there's a bunch of other shows on the network. They're all amazing. Check them out. That's at bloody-disgusting.com um, slash like podcast, uh, or you can just go to bloody-disgusting.com or bloody-disgusting.com and find everything. I'll try to throw a link in the description yeah. for you guys listening on YouTube. Yeah. Like I said, lots of cool stuff. Uh, if you like horror, it's literally all I do every day is make horror stuff and help other people make horror stuff. Cool. Check it out, guys. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's me. Thanks for coming on. It was cool to kind of chat about uh, copyright and also kind of the history of radio. <laughs> uh, it was a fun turn. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And um yeah, you know, uh, stay tuned, folks. There's a uh, wonderful show. Lots of great stuff. If you haven't, li if you haven't listened to uh, Tahoni's episode, it's really cool. I listened to oh, it cool. actually yeah. right before it came on. Uh, solid episode. All right. Well, thanks, folks. We'll see you next time. Thank you again, uh, Pacific, for coming on. Uh, that's that. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>